0: Uh, So fun fact, I have probably preached on Trinity Sunday, which is today's feast, more than any other feast day in the church calendar, and this is for one simple reason, because as an associate on a staff with a lot of clergy, you know, the rector gets, or those with more seniority get the Christmases, the Easter's, the baptisms, the big great days, you know, But the new girl always gets Trinity Sunday, just so you know. Because no one wants to talk about the Trinity. You can understand why, right? The Trinity is a complicated theological issue that all of Christendom has muddled over for a couple of thousand years, and you've got ten minutes. Go. (laughs) St. Augustine said that if anyone denies the Trinity, he loses his salvation. But anyone who tries to understand the Trinity loses his mind. (laughs) The complications of explaining this concept uh, reminds me of a story from the Bible. Jesus, in a tender moment with his disciples, asked them, Who do people say that I am? And his disciples answered and said, Some say you are John the Baptist, returned from the dead. Others say Elijah or one of the prophets. And Jesus answered and said, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, Thou art the Logos, existing in the Father as his rationality and then by an act of his will being generated in consideration of the various functions by which God is related to his creation, but only on the fact that Scripture speaks of a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, each member of the Trinity being co-equal with every other member, and each acting inseparably with and interpenetrating every other member with only an economic subordination within God, but causing no division which would make the substance no longer simple. Jesus answered and said, What? <laughs> that is what we came to believe, by the way. The word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Some of you may know this. So we start at the beginning with this a bunch of Orthodox monotheistic Jews who, whose main difference from the world around them was that they claimed there was one God. They lived within a polytheistic culture where there was a God for every harvest and rainstorm and slug infestation, and they say, one. Then a handful of them begin to follow this guy named Jesus, and they start to understand him as not just a rabbi, but as a son of God. But if there was one God, right, you see the problem. How could there be a son of God? All our scriptures today are passages suggesting a plurality at the heart of God. In our gospel, that as the sun ascended into heaven, there was going to be an advocate, a comforter, to continue to be with them, revealing God's presence with them always, rather than at one fixed point in history 2,000 years ago in Judea. And so what was this now? Another person would make three. Three. I was sitting with a friend of mine in Jonesboro, Arkansas, a few years ago. He was 80 years old and an old Baptist preacher by name of Emil. Emil was Baptist in the original sense of Baptist, uh, as he liked to put it, before the mentalist took over. (laughs) And he said, Amber, when I preach about God, God doesn't have a gender, God is beyond male or female. Putting form to God limits God. After all, no eye hath seen, no ear has heard, and all of our depictions are like straw men, and all our arguments, too. I argued with him, my friend Emil, because we loved each other enough to argue well. I said, that we are always putting images to God, that the Bible isn't just the picture of a father and a son, but God is a mother in labor, a rather misguided shepherd, a neglectful gardener, an absent-minded woman who loses her coins. God is a broken-hearted lover. God is a chicken. God is in fire. God is in smoke. God is bread. God is wine. We put these images to God, and then they are broken. Of course they won't hold. In the course of a life, our images of God are broken again and again. As C.S. Lewis says, God himself is the one who breaks them. He is the great iconoclast. Our ideas must be broken, for no eye has, no eye hath seen, no ear has heard. But the images do matter, because the images we carry ultimately form us. Symbols participate in and enact the reality that they are pointing towards. And we claim as Christians that every human being bears that image, that we participate in the reality of God. We walk around bearing these images of God, images that have been polished and marred, neglected and nurtured to varying degrees from person to person. Today, we celebrate a rather puzzling image called the Trinity. It seems to me that the two great and opposite fears of the human heart are answered in the Trinity this God who is three in one, one God, three distinct persons, these two great fears of ours. First, that of our isolation, the fear that we are basically alone, that any closeness we experience is simply an evolutionary driver for the continuation of the species, the ache that drives us to community, the fear that each bond you make can be broken. Here this morning, we proclaim the Trinity, a communion at the heart of our being. This image is as deep as the cells in our body, each one a miracle that adds up to a sum at least as great as its parts. But the second, the great opposite fear of this is our fear of automation, assimilation into the crowd, that you actually are just another person in headphones with the disposable cup of coffee fed the same stream of information from the algorithm that can fit any type, that deep down you fear not being one of three, but one of billions, just like you, who could replace you at your job in your relationships should you be unable to complete it with satisfaction, disposable as that cup of coffee. Today, here, we answer with the Trinity, that at the heart of God we discovered community retaining individuality at the heart of life is unique personhood. The Trinity says, among many other things, that we are distinct selves, but not alone, interconnected, but not replaceable. You know, I think that's a good thing to remember for one Sunday a year. I wonder what you'll make of it.